Welcome to the Enabled by Eastlos Capital podcast, where we interview tech founders and investors in the Eastlos Capital ecosystem about their career stories and how tech has enabled growth for their companies. This week, I am speaking with Christina Mendez, the CEO and founder at Ellie Rose, a fashion-forward tech and lifestyle accessories company. Hi, Christina. Thanks so much for joining us on the Enabled by Eastlos Capital podcast. Hi, Sally. Thanks so much for inviting me. Okay, great. Uh, let's just jump right in. Uh, could you tell us about your background, what your professional experiences were prior to founding Ellie Rose? Sure, yeah. So I'll uh, start from kind of the beginning. So mm-hmm. I went to Stanford University for undergrad, majored in economics, knew I wanted to be a part of the business world. So right after graduation, I moved to New York City and I worked for Goldman Sachs in their risk management team. So even though I was a risk manager, I was really involved with our technology team as well. I kind of took on a bit of a project or uh, product developer sort of role in that I was helping oversee the software products that we were building, not only for our internal team use, but also for external client use. And those were all related to risk management and our, and our and the risk management for ourselves, but also for our customers. And while I was at Goldman, actually, I had taken some computer science classes in undergrad, but I relied on that little bit of experience with coding and, and learned how to kind of automate a lot of the things that I had to do, a lot of the reports that I needed to generate and a lot of the research I needed to do for risk management purposes. So I kind of relied on my computer science training there. But after five years at Goldman, I decided I wanted to switch careers and I decided to go to Harvard Business School so I could learn more about business, but also get a, a fresh start to my career. So from there, I moved to Miami and I helped run a hotel on Miami Beach. So kind of a little bit random, wow. but a really, yeah, it was a fun year. I actually took a leave of absence between my first and second year of business school to do that because it was a short-term opportunity. I'd reached out to the owners of this hotel and they said, yeah, come on board. So that was really fun. Got to see a whole different industry and, and a very different style of business. That was an operating business. So I was dealing with customers customers in person. I was dealing with a huge team. It was very different from the kind of uh, role I had at Goldman. So yeah, after that, I went back to business school, finished that. And then after business school, I worked at a hedge fund in LA and I worked in their technology department. So I was helping build internal software applications or work with outside vendors who were building applications on our behalf and overseeing that and making sure that the products that were being built actually catered to our end customer's need, the end customer being internal use. So for example, the accounting team or the portfolio funding team or the investment analysts themselves. So just making sure that the products were useful and provided the information that that our teams needed. Wonderful. And then, yeah, yeah. And then after that, I briefly worked at an ad agency in LA and learned a lot about video marketing. And then kind of through a friend, I had this opportunity to join this company called The Casery, which was a fashion tech accessories company. And my friend was the founder and and uh, CEO of that company, but he was having some help issues. So he asked me to take over as CEO. And I thought the opportunity was really fun and interesting. I loved the product. It was fashion phone cases and fashion tech accessories. And my dream had always been to be a CEO. And so I thought, oh, this is my chance. 
So I took on that role in 2018 and it was a bit of a struggle because the company wasn't doing so well financially. So then in 2020, when the pandemic hit, that was kind of the end of that company because they were mostly a wholesaler. And so in March of 2020, you know, if you remember, all retailers throughout the country, all of them had to shut their doors. And so all of the orders for the casery were canceled immediately overnight. Yeah, it was a crazy time. Um, So with that, I began helping just with the wind down process of the company. And during that process, customers were still reaching out. So once things started opening up again, they said customers started reaching out and saying, well, we want to place orders for fall and for holiday season. How do we get more product? And I said, well, you know, Casery is going out of business, but I'm launching a new company called Ellie Rose. Would you like to try those products? And so that was kind of how Ellie Rose came to be. I realized that there was still demand for cute tech accessories and clients were still lining up to place orders. So I thought, why don't I fill in the this gap that now exists. Fantastic. Wow. This is um, absolutely, what, what a journey, truly. <laughs> I, I guess one of the follow-up questions I have to that, that kind of uh, plays to the tech enablement theme here at East Los, is you've been through uh, so many different companies where you take on a tech role. So what is the most sort of interesting technology or tech challenge that you've seen throughout, you know, from GS all the way until uh, Ellie Rose right now? Yeah, well, I see right now I work in the consumer goods space and it's not technical. I mean, it's it's not very technical. So dealing with our retailers, most of our retailers, and I'm talking about national partners like you know Nordstrom, for example, they rely on this kind of legacy technology called EDI, which is electronic data interchange. And it's not easily integrated with anything else, essentially. It can be if you want to pay tens of thousands of dollars, but as a small business, I don't want to. So I think that's a really interesting opportunity. And I know that there's a lot of these online EDI providers that they claim to be cost-effective. But I mean, even as a small company, I have to spend several thousands of dollars a year on this software. So I do see this huge opportunity for whoever wants to undertake it to help modernize retail and and wholesale and connecting the dots between retailers and their suppliers with order, you know, submitting orders as well as shipment notifications and inventory tracking and doing it in a way that's really on the side of the small suppliers because a lot of these huge retailers, they may have the budget to implement these huge customized technology for sending and receiving orders. But I think if they think about the smaller suppliers, it seems like there's definitely a space for some sort of marketplace or technology solution to help facilitate all that. Fantastic. Fantastic. So you mentioned, is it an EDI provider? Yes. So uh, most of the national retailers require orders to be processed through what's called EDI. And it's Mm -hmm. just a very old school sort of system, in my opinion. So it would be great if there was a more cost-effective solution for everyone and that kind of streamlined things and that integrated more. I mean, so many of us are using Shopify for our websites. Like there should be systems that automatically integrate with Shopify, for example. That would solve so many problems for suppliers. Fantastic. Fantastic. Uh, Wonderful. So, you know, I kind of, one of the points that you touched on was during HBS, you went and managed a hotel. So, you know, I'm really interested in, you know, why, so there are so many opportunities you can, you can pursue at Harvard, you know, what motivated you to reach out to that hotel and what was the sort of the challenge of success that you saw there? 
Sure. So once upon a time, I really wanted to become a hotel developer. So when I was working at Goldman, I did a lot of traveling just for fun. And I really loved staying at hotels. And I thought that my next career path would be to work in hotel development. And I also had a lot of ideas on how to use technology to make hotels more efficient. So, you know, starting with automated self-check-in and keyless entry, and a lot of hotels are actually doing this now. So it's really cool to see that happening. But at the time, that I was kind of daydreaming about all this. Hotels were not very technology focused at all. So I started reaching out to hotels and seeing if I could break into that industry. I'm a firm believer that the best way to learn an industry or a business or whatever it may be is to actually get out there and do it. And I'm not afraid to get my hands dirty. So, I mean, there were times where I was literally working in the housekeeping department because I wanted to understand how does housekeeping work and how can this can be automated? And actually, while I was at the hotel in Miami, I built I coded literally from scratch a a web-based application that allowed the front desk to communicate with the housekeeping department about what were the pending requests. So let's say a customer asked for additional towels or additional sheets or something. They could input the, the request into the, the web app rather than having to tie up the phone lines and, and calling each other. And then the nice thing about the web, pa- web app is that it was all time-stamped and it had a username. So you know exactly when the request was entered and what time did it get resolved and who entered that. So it added a lot more accountability and traceability to the whole process. And so, yeah, I think that at the time, hotels were not necessarily taking advantage of a lot of you know very simple technology solutions, but it really, in the end, would enhance the customer's experience because if they're getting their towels delivered sooner, then they all win. Oh, wow. That's actually fantastic to hear. I mean, uh, me personally, when I, when I stay at hotels, I would always kind of dread having to call the hotel front desk and then explain and then wait for ages and then in the end, not get anything delivered. So, I mean, that's just fantastic to hear about. Yeah. So, you know, the next step is I really would love to hear about, you know, what is your vision for, for Ellie Rose? What does your customer makeup look like? And you kind of touched on this already, but you know, how does COVID sort of influence your customer buying behavior? Sure. So Ellie Rose really started as primarily a wholesaler. So meaning we sell to other retailers. Nordstrom was one of our first clients. And you can find our products in boutiques, independent boutiques all over the world. Really, we're really big. It's called the gift world and they have trade shows multiple times a year. And so if you walk into uh, like, let's say you go on vacation and you go to a really cute boutique, there's a good chance you're going to find our products there. That's kind of our sweet spot. But I think looking ahead, the future is of course, e-commerce. And um, unfortunately, that's something that I haven't really had the resources to invest in. But now that our business is starting to stabilize a little bit more, I'm really excited about building up our website as well as getting our products on Amazon. And I, again, I feel like we're a little late to the game, but with COVID, I mean, the retail world accelerated so quickly in this push to e-commerce. So with all the stores closing, people had no choice but to learn how to do online shopping, especially people who had never really done it before. And then when they learned how easy it is with just a few clicks, you could get something delivered to your door within a matter of days. Now that's the future. Everyone wants to be shopping online. So it's something that it's harder to do than maybe it seems like. So it's it's something we're working on and, and definitely that's going to be the future. So I'm excited for that. 
Yeah, yeah, absolutely. You know, I'm also really curious. So you mentioned Nordstrom as one of your first clients. So, you know, it's always really difficult to get that first big order. So how did you sort of, what was your strategy in, you know, getting your first big client? Was it, you know, these sort of gifts trade show that you talked about or was it something else? So as I mentioned, leveraging existing contacts. So because I knew these buyers on a first name basis, having that conversation and saying, hey, I'm starting this new company. Do you want to test out our products? That was certainly an advantage. They they trusted me individually and they were willing to give us a try because they knew you know, who I was and, and what sort of products were capable of, of delivering. So that was certainly an advantage. But that being said, we've opened a ton of new accounts that I have never worked with before. And that's um, just kind of the, the art of cold calling, the art of cold emailing. So I do have a director of sales and she spends all day reaching out to customers. And, you know, 99% of the time, it's a cold email that they've received. And it, yeah, it's really kind of trying to see what works, testing all different strategies. So is it a longer email with a catalog attached? Is it an email with two sentences with just an image in the email body? We've kind of tried everything, but I would say like, don't be afraid to send cold emails or LinkedIn messages or cold calling. Like that's how sales get done. And it's not the most glamorous thing, but that's how it's done. Yeah, yeah, I I totally agree. You know, I'm actually, so I I had a look at the Ellie Rose website and all of your, you know, the iPhone cases and and AirPod cases, they look so beautiful. So, you you know, yeah, yeah, they truly do. So, you know, in terms of social media, because, you know, on, you know, my Instagram feeds, I do see like some products that are are kind of similar. How do you think about social media or, or how does your media department think about this? Sure. So we unfortunately have not invested a whole lot in social media. It's something that, again, is something I want to do as we build up our e-commerce. But, you know, it's interesting when the Instagram algorithm changed several years ago now, it's really hard as a business to get your content out in front of your followers. And so, you know, just posting organically gets less and less traction. Mm. Instagram ads are definitely, uh, you know, an area that can be profitable and something I would recommend to e-commerce businesses. But as far as like posting online, it's getting harder every day. And same with influencers, you know, they have the same problem that their posts are just not being viewed by people a lot of the time. So that's not something that I've invested a lot in at the time, but, or currently, but, um, you know, I wouldn't rule it out for the future, but, yeah, I would say social media is not not a huge part of our strategy at this wow. moment. Wow, yeah, that's, you know, kind of a little bit surprising to hear because every day I feel like as a consumer, like I see so much content being pushed to me that I don't personally, I, I always wonder about how this content gets pushed to me and why this isn't exactly what I want. So that's very interesting to hear. So in terms of, you know, a little bit on, because we, we've been talking about consumer a little bit, you know, what are some major trends in sort of the either the fashion tech accessories vertical or the broader consumer ecosystem that kind of excite you? What are some trends in this area that you, that really you see? Sure. Well, I would just say like adoption of technology by everyone. So I think there was, you know, a time when not everyone went out and got the latest 
iPhone or the latest headset or, you know, earphones or AirPods, but now everyone's into technology. And so that's exciting for me, especially as a tech accessories company. I'm not selling to just this niche customer who's that early adopter. Now I'm selling to everyone of all ages and all different backgrounds. Most people have a smartphone. Not everyone even has a laptop anymore. So in terms of like phone accessories, I mean, you know, a customer walking into a store, there's like, I would say a 99 to 100% chance that person owns a smartphone. So when I'm pitching to retailers why they should carry tech accessories and specifically phone accessories, it's like, because you can sell these to close to 100% of your customers. So, you know, along those lines with AirPods, those are an expensive item, but it's amazing how many people rushed out to buy to buy AirPods and continue to do so. So it's exciting just to see how many people are really excited about new technology and, and how it spans kind of all generations now. Yeah, yeah, definitely. It's funny you mentioned AirPod case because I'm myself, I'm a kind of like a collector of AirPod cases. So oh, really? Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, I have one that's kind of like a, a little like a NASA case that's round and then some others that are pure block color. So that's why, you know, when I saw it, like Ellie Rose's collection, I was so excited. So yeah, okay. A little bit, you know, a harkening back because we already started talking about tech enablement in everyone's lives as of now. What about your personal life? Do you see sort of, you know, you talked a lot about how tech has played a great role in your professional life. Do you see, you know, tech also playing a similar enhancement role in your personal life? Yeah, definitely. Well, it's all kind of related because when you're a CEO, you work 24-7. But I'd say with technology, my when I launched this company, it, it was so important for this company to be completely cloud-based, meaning that I can operate this business no matter where I am in the world. And to that end, I actually have employees all over the world. I have a whole team in the Philippines. I have an employee in China. And so regardless of where I am, whether it's on the weekend and I'm sitting at my couch, or if it's during the week and maybe I'm in the office or maybe I'm still at home, I can access whatever I need to access no matter where I am. And along those lines, like I use a 3PL, my warehouse is based in Oklahoma, but even all that data transmission is all through the internet. So again, I can be anywhere in the world and still be shipping out orders without having to be physically in any one place. So I think, you know, I would highly recommend to founders and business owners to make their business as flexible as as they can, meaning that, you know, you want to be able to operate your business no matter where you are. You don't want to be tied to a specific location because then what happens when there's a pandemic and your office shuts down entirely or, you know, a crazy situation like that. So it, you know, especially in light of certain recent events, it's been really important to have access to all the information and all the different processes I need, just no matter where I am. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's also um, interesting that you kind of touched on, you know, your employees being spread out across the world, you know, in terms of customer sort of demographic, are they, are you guys shipping just nationally or internationally? We do have international customers. We have quite a fan base in Canada, actually. And then, yeah, and then we do have some customers in Europe as well. But at this point, most of our customers are in the U.S., but we are happy to expand to the to, to globally. Fantastic. So, you know, in, in light of the, the recent sort of um, international political tumbles, let's call it, you know, has that in any way impacted your supply chain? Has that in any way sort of, or has any of the sort of you know, major tumbles that we've seen in the past year, whether it's COVID or global issues, has any of that sort of caused like an unforeseen either, either spike or like lull in your orders? 
Yes, absolutely. I mean, I recently just had a shipment be out of this world delayed due to the supply chain issues. And that's another area for tech, you know, to make things better through technology. I'll give you an example. I was supposed to have some containers released from the port of LA last week. And I got a message from my freight forwarder saying, oh, well, the website's down. So they haven't been releasing containers for the past several days. (laughs) I was just like, how is that possible? The port of Los Angeles, probably the busiest port in the world. They're just not releasing containers because a website is down. So yeah, that kind of blew my mind, but so yeah, be prepared for that. But in terms of what's going on with Russia and Ukraine, obviously that's a devastating situation and it is having an impact on my business because a lot of our products are made from plastic, which is derived from oil and the global oil supply has now been really, you know, impacted by this situation. And so even though I'm dealing with factories in China, they're telling me like prices are increasing by the day. And so they're like, get your orders in now because things are about to skyrocket. So there's been a lot of talk of inflation right in the news. And I and I think we're actually just at the tip of the iceberg. I think things are about to get quite crazy. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, every day looking at Bloomberg, it's really harder than it was before to tell what's going to happen tomorrow. Yeah. So, you know, kind of wrapping this up, you know, in terms of you and ESOS Capital, so the, the namesake of the podcast, you know, what do you think about sort of the potential for ESOS Capital's uh, Emmanuel and Anthony in their implementation of the of their sort of tech enablement strategy? Do you think for them in terms of investing in companies, what's your opinion on that? Yeah. So what I really like about Emmanuel and Anthony's kind of vision is that they have this belief that all different companies can benefit from tech. Like, so you don't have to be a software company to benefit from technology any company can benefit from tech. So for example, their two portfolio companies, Kalent and 66 Degrees, they're trying to help companies in all different industries get onto the cloud. And I kind of touched on this earlier on like why it was important for my company to be on the cloud, because no matter what the global disruption is, or, you know, no matter where I am physically, I can still operate my business. And so I think having this lens of applying technology to all companies, all different sizes, all different industries is really important because, I mean, you know, I gave many examples just in in my earlier talk from a hotel benefiting from technology to fashion companies. Like, again, you don't have to be a software company. You can be anything and really help um, make companies more profitable by using technology. Truly. You know, in terms of, so you are currently um, advisor of ESOS Capital. So how, how do you think you as a, you know, a consumer founder can advise on ESOS Capital's portfolio? Sure. So to the extent that there's any portfolio companies that they're considering that are in the consumer goods space, I believe I certainly have some insight to add there. But I've also helped them with prior deals relating to companies more in the traditional tech space. So given my background um, working in product management, and then as I mentioned, when I worked for a hedge fund, I was in their technology team. So I was helping work with vendors who were selling us software as as well as building software myself. So um, helping them advise on those more tech-focused companies, I've, I was, I've been able to give my input there as far as like, what does the product like, life cycle look like and how do these products impact that? So yeah, I hope that my, my insight has been valuable there. Yeah, it definitely has been. Okay. So Christina, last question. If you can say something to you know all consumer founders right now, what would it be? Like Maybe it's a sentence, maybe it's like a motivational call or something. Well, I guess I'd say, <laughs> I'd say it's harder than it looks. 
And so I've heard so many podcasts or I followed the Instagrams of so many CEOs and they make it look so easy, but it's really not. It's really quite a struggle. So I'd say, you know, if you're running into CEOs and, you know, give them a hug because they need it. And if you're, think- if you're thinking of doing it yourself, like go for it, but brace yourself. It's going to be a wild ride, but a really rewarding and fun one. But it takes a lot of work. Oh, definitely. It sounds like it. Well, this has been absolutely fantastic. Thank you so much, Christina. It's been a fantastic pleasure talking to you. In the future, I hope we can invite you back and talk more about Ellie Rose and the consumer accessories market. This has been fantastic. Sure. Thank you, Sally. 